Amen. Well, you guys can grab a seat. Hi, City Light Lincoln. You guys came out in a snowstorm. That's amazing. Thank you for being here. My name's Brett. I'm a pastor on staff here at the church. Uh, if you're joining us online, I want to say welcome. So glad you could be a part of our church family this morning. I want to start with a question this morning. Have you ever been astonished? Have you ever been so absolutely blown away by something that you were lost for words? Maybe a situation or a circumstance that just completely exceeded your wildest dreams or expectations. I don't mean something that you were amazed by. I think in our culture, in our time, we overuse the word amazement. Like, I can be amazed at the price of gas. I can be amazed by a burger I ate for lunch. I'm amazed when Patrick Mahomes throws a 90-yard touchdown pass. I'm amazed by an Instagram post that gets thousands of likes. We can be amazed by things, but still not be changed by them. See, we can be amazed by things, but still not be changed by them. I think when we're astonished by something, it kind of gets into our bones. It changes the way we see the world around us. It changes the way we see ourselves, the way we see others. In college, uh, I had to take a class called Art Appreciation. And um, I thought, looking at like the course catalog, I can appreciate some art. That sounds easy to me. What I didn't know is that I would have to study all these different pieces of, of art throughout the centuries, and then I was going to actually have to recreate them for myself. So I had to use the same style, methods, mediums as the original artist to try and create my own piece of, of similar artwork. And as I took the class, I was amazed. I was looking at these pieces of art uh, in the textbook going, wow, this is amazing. I'm trying to recreate it with my own hands and going, this is, dang, this is really difficult. Um, fast forward a few years. Me and some of my best friends are in London, and we are at a place called the National Gallery. And if you know anything about the National Gallery, it is a, uh, just a, a big, basically, museum of all these famous pieces of art throughout the centuries. Um, and we saw, while we were there, uh, a painting. It's going to come up on the screen. This is called The Conversion of St. Paul. I studied this picture in my art appreciation class. I was amazed by it. But getting to see it face to face, I'll never forget the way I felt. There's something about the painting when you see it face to face. Like, it looks cool on the screen here. But when you see this painting face to face, there's a sense of power. There's a sense of beauty. There's a sense of magnificence, literally kind of like a, a transcendence that you feel. I will never forget, me and my buddies, we're not necessarily, you wouldn't call us like art aficionados. We don't really know a lot. But I remember standing there with them. Our mouths were literally hanging open. We were astonished, completely astonished. Today, in Luke chapter 4, here in our account of Jesus, my hope is that we would be astonished at the authority of Jesus. Astonished at the authority of Jesus. That we wouldn't just look at these words and think, wow, cool story. But that we would actually experience Jesus and his authority in such a way that we would leave this place different than we were when we walked in those doors. 
or when we tuned in online. Today, I get to continue us in our series through the book of Luke in chapter 4. Uh, we've been in Luke the last few weeks, and we're really looking forward. We're going to just keep walking through the book of Luke over the coming months. Today, we're in chapter 4, starting in verse 31. So I want to encourage you, if you brought your Bible, would you please open? Uh, would you follow along with me? If you don't have your Bible, would you open up your phone? And would you go to Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 31? I'd love for you to follow along with me as we go through this text together. So let's look at our first section, our first point for today. It's going to come from verses 31 and 32. Let's read it together. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Our first point, the first thing that I want us to see this morning is astonished at his preaching. Astonished at his preaching. Here in Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus. He's preaching in the synagogue in the city of Capernaum. And the synagogue is kind of the modern day equivalent to a church or a cultural community center that the Jewish people would come to. They'd gather at, they'd hear the Old Testament taught each week. These people that Jesus is teaching in our account this morning are used to hearing the Old Testament scriptures taught. Very used to it. Have you guys ever, uh, ever met a church kid? Somebody who grew up going to church every Sunday, learned all the Bible stories, memorized verses. Uh, maybe they learned that song. You guys remember Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Numbers, Deuteronomy, yes. I got some people singing it. Okay, come on. Yeah. If you sang that song, you're a church kid. Okay? I'm a church kid. I learned that growing up. The people here in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, they are church kids. They would have grown up from the time they're able to hear, hearing their parents teach them about the Old Testament scriptures, going to the synagogue, hearing it taught. Got a sermon on Genesis 1? Already heard it. That weird, random passage in the book of Nahum that you didn't even know existed? Most of us don't even know Nahum existed. They got that one memorized too. Think you have something to say that they haven't heard before? Good luck. Friends, it's incredible that Jesus is able to show up at the synagogue and astonish these people. When Jesus arrives on the scene at the synagogue and begins teaching, people are blown away. People aren't just hearing the same old things they've heard before. No, this preacher is different. All the teachers that they've heard before cited other teachers of the Old Testament or other rabbis that had gone before them. But Jesus teaches and he cites no one. Uh, when I was in college, I once failed an English paper because I didn't cite my sources properly. And in Jewish culture, it was incredibly important that you cited your sources as you taught. It gave you a grounds for authority from which you spoke. But here, Jesus cites no one. Jesus preaches, and he's his own bibliography. Jesus writes like the Old Testament scriptures are his autobiography, like he's 
the author of the Old Testament scriptures, and we know that he was. Jesus is able to look into each text of the Old Testament scriptures and point to the fact of how each one leads to, points to, highlights him. Jesus speaks with authority here in Luke chapter 4 because he really is the King of Kings. He really is the Lord of Lords. He really is the Savior of the world. And if Jesus is who he says he is, it means that he has authority over your life. It means that we can't just be a church family who shows up, opens our Bibles once a week, maybe twice a week at Citigroup, but we actually have to know for ourselves the words of Jesus. We have to be a people who open up our Bibles regularly for ourselves to hear what Jesus has to say to us through it. And not just hear Jesus, but obey Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you struggle, if you struggle with getting into the word regularly, would you go to our website, citylightlincoln.org, and would you click on the homepage? We have a devotional through the first part of Luke. It's designed, written by volunteers in our church family, specifically for you, to help you get into the word daily and to understand it for yourself. So I'd encourage you, would you go access that devotional on our website? That's our first point astonished at his preaching. Let's move on to our next section of verses to see our second point for the morning. Verses 33 through 37. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The second point, the second thing we see today from our passage is astonished at his power. Astonished at his power. A few years back, uh, I got an opportunity to watch uh, the Cubs. The year that they won the World Series, I got to go to a playoffs game. I got these amazing seats along the third baseline. Uh, And if you know anything about Wrigley Field, the Uh, the Cubs' um, bullpen is right there along the third baseline. And so I got to watch all the Cubs' pitchers as they're warming up and getting ready to go in. I'll never forget, I got to see a guy named Araldus Chapman warm up to pitch. And if you know anything about Araldus Chapman, he has the fastest baseball pitch ever recorded. 105.8 miles an hour he pitched in a baseball game. Okay, that is fast. You can watch it on TV and see, dang, that dude can throw. It's amazing to watch him throw. But I'll tell you what, when you're sitting there on the third baseline at Wrigley Field and you watch him throw the ball, you actually see it whiz past your face in real time. You hear the smack of the ball into the mitt 
when the catcher catches it. Like, just the power he has to throw the ball, it's astonishing. It's astonishing. The people here in Luke 4 are astonished when they see the power of Jesus to cast a demon from his presence. Maybe they've heard stories about Jesus before, stories of miracles he's done, but now it's like, it's like they're on the third baseline at Wrigley Field and they see it for themselves. They're astonished at the power of Jesus. The interaction that we see in this account in Luke teaches us a few things. It teaches us a few things about demons and what we're supposed to think about them from God's word. I'm about to go into a, a short section where I'm going to talk about demons. It feels a little weird. Let's just address it right now. It feels weird to hear a sermon where the pastor is getting up and talking about demons, but here's why I'm going to teach it. Because the scripture talks about it. So we're going to dive in. I'm going to give four points about demons, what we can know about them and learn about them from God's word. Here's the four points I'll give you, and then we'll walk through them each one at a time. Number one, demons are real, and they are at work in the world around us. Number two, demons are opposed to Jesus and his will. Number three, demons know Jesus, but they don't worship him. Number four, demons are powerful, but they are ultimately under the authority of Jesus. So let's start with number one. Demons are real, and they are at work in the world around us. Here and throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus and his disciples come into contact with several demons, and never, not once, are they shocked. Never, not once, are they surprised. Never, not once, are they taken off guard. One of Satan's best tactics in our culture is to convince us that the spiritual realities around us are not real. In our culture, we have a rational, scientific explanation for everything. And when we choose to see the world only through that lens, we become blind to the spiritual realities around us. I also this morning, though, want to guard us from the other extreme. So while our eyes want to be open to the spiritual realities that are happening around us, we also don't want to over-spiritualize everything that happens around us. Okay, there might be an instance where you just have a really, really bad day at work, or you get a flat tire on the way into church, and you think, it's Satan and his minions. The Spiritual forces of darkness are at it again, right? In reality, it's just a flat tire. In reality, it's just been a stressful day at work. So while we want to have our eyes open and aware to the spiritual realities that are happening around us, we also don't want to over-spiritualize the things in our lives. That's our first truth, that demons are real, and they are at work in the world around us. Number two, demons are opposed to Jesus and his will. In verse 33, we see that this demon cries out while Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and this demon's goal is to disrupt Jesus by any means necessary, to keep Jesus uh, from doing what he wants to accomplish, to stifle his work. We often think of demons as Hollywood portrays them, it's kind of like our basis background. Probably in your mind right now, you're thinking about demons. You're thinking about like as Hollywood paints them. 
big, scary monster lives up in a mansion on the hill, right? In reality, um, their work is often, in our culture, in our, in our culture, much more subtle, much more disguised. They want to work in our culture and in our society to do anything possible by any means necessary to steal worship away from Jesus and to thwart what Jesus wants to see happen in the world and in our lives. That's our second truth. Demons are opposed to Jesus and his will. Number three, demons know Jesus, but they don't worship him. In verse 34, we see this demon called Jesus. This is so interesting. Called Jesus by his proper name, the Holy One of God. This demon knows exactly who Jesus is. He's holy. He's set apart. He's perfect. He's the Son of God. This demon knows exactly who Jesus is. But that doesn't mean that he worships him. Friends, it's possible to know exactly who Jesus is, but to still not have a real relationship with him. Some of us listening this morning in the room or online, you grew up in church. Maybe you know a lot about Jesus. Maybe you still show up to hear a sermon every once in a while. Maybe you you even pray sometimes, but you need to know that that means absolutely nothing. Have you put your faith, your trust in Jesus in such a way that your life looks any different than the world around you? My fear is that there are people who show up to our church, who are a part of our church family, who know all the right answers, but have never entered into a real, genuine, life-altering relationship with Jesus. They've never actually given their heart or their life to Jesus. The demons know everything there is to know about Jesus, but that doesn't mean they worship him. That's our third truth. Demons know Jesus, but they don't worship him. Our fourth and last point, demons are powerful, but they are ultimately under the authority of Jesus. In verse 34, the demon cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And part of what this demon knows about Jesus is that one day Jesus will hold Satan and his demons accountable for their wickedness. But that day hasn't come yet. And so now we see Satan and his demons exercising a measure of power in the world. We see this power in action today in our passage. We see a man possessed, overtaken, overpowered by a demon. The demon forces him to go to the synagogue. The demon forces him to cry out, to disrupt Jesus. And friends, we would be unwise to think that Satan and his demons aren't incredibly powerful. But, but, Jesus puts this power in perspective. In one sentence, Jesus commands this demon to be silent and to come out of him. 
and the demon has no choice but to obey. Think about it. This demon's entire purpose, his entire will is to oppose Jesus and his will. And in one word, Jesus sends this demon packing. That's our fourth truth. Demons are powerful, but they're ultimately under the authority of Jesus. If talking about demons makes you feel a little weird inside, like this morning, I want you to know that it should give us great comfort and peace to know the authority that Jesus has over Satan and his minions. This is a picture. It's going to come up on the screen of my son, Leander. Leander is about six months old. Uh, Leander doesn't have much strength on his own. Uh, he's basically just got strength to roll over and shovel more food in his mouth. Um, if Leander was ever uh, to be threatened or come under attack by someone more powerful than him, Leander wouldn't have much strength to protect himself. But you bet his daddy does. And if anybody wanted to mess with Leander, they'd have to come through my dead body first. Friends, in the same way, our Heavenly Father is our protector. He's our shield. We can say to Satan and his minions, I might not be very strong. I might not be very powerful on my own. But have you seen how big my dad is? He's given us his spirit that powerfully works in us and through us so that we don't have to be afraid. In fact, we can be fearless, not because of our own strength, but because of the power and the authority of Jesus that lives in us. Our story ends today in verses 36 and 37. It says, everyone is amazed. You can highlight, circle, underline that word amazed at the power and authority of Jesus. That word amazed in verse 36 is the Greek word thambos, and it can be literally translated to another word. Can you guess what that word is? Astonishment. They're astonished at the authority and the power of Jesus. The question we need to ask ourselves in closing this morning is this. How will you respond to the authority of Jesus? There are three groups of people that I want to address in closing. And I think each one of us in this room or listening online falls into one of these three categories. So I want you to listen and, and ask yourself, what category do I fall into? Number one, the first group are people who have never responded to the authority of Jesus. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you've just been over the last few weeks or months just kind of checking Jesus out. Or maybe you're somebody who realizes, you know what, I, I grew up in church and I come to church, but I've never gone beyond a surface level understanding of Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want you to know there's another time in Scripture where Jesus actually talks about his authority. There's a couple times, but one of the times Jesus talks about his authority is in John chapter 10. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 10 about his authority. Verse 17, he says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority 
It's the same word that gets used in Luke chapter 4. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. How did Jesus use his authority? Did he use it to climb the social ladder? Did he use it to gain for himself power or wealth or prestige? No. Jesus used his authority to lay down his life. Jesus used his authority to be lifted up, but not lifted up in the way we might imagine. Jesus used his authority to be lifted up on the cross. He's mocked, he's beaten, and as he hangs there dying, he takes the full weight, the full judgment, the full punishment, the full wrath that we deserve for our sin on himself as he dies. This is how Isaiah chapter 53 puts it. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sin. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. If you've never trusted in Jesus, would today be the day that you find peace with God by trusting Jesus' sacrifice for you? And would you not just trust in what Jesus has done for dying, in dying for you, would you also submit your life to his authority? The type of authority that says, I'm not going to use my authority to lord it over you. I'm going to use my authority to lay my life down for you. Would you leave the life you've been living behind you, the things that you've been putting in your life in front of Jesus, would you clear the obstacles, would you clear the roadblock, and would you run this morning in the best way you know how, would you run this morning to the arms of Jesus? That's our first group of people. Our second group of people that need to respond to Jesus' authority are people who are asking this question. If Jesus has so much authority, If Jesus has so much power, then how could this horrible circumstance be happening in my life? If Jesus has so much authority, then why did I lose my job? If Jesus has so much authority, why did I lose this loved one? Why was I sexually assaulted? Why am I sick and I can't be healed? Why is the world and so much turmoil. I want to make it really clear this morning that I have no answers for you. I have no cheap excuse, and I have no ability to stand in the shoes of God and begin to explain why sickness and sorrow and pain exist. I don't know where you're at. I can't see what you're going through. But I do see a Savior in the garden the night before he's crucified, crying out to his Father. Father, is there any other way? I don't know what cross you're being forced to carry in this season of your life, but I do see a Savior carrying his cross to the place where he'd be crucified. 
And I don't know the loneliness, the depth of loneliness that you're feeling right now in your pain. But I do see a Savior hanging on a cross, abandoned by all his friends, all his followers, as he's experiencing the wrath and the punishment for our sin. Friends, I don't have anything to give you other than a Savior who can look you in the eyes and say, I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly how it feels. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus knows your pain. In your pain, you're not alone. Jesus knows it. Not just because he knows everything, but by experience. This morning, would you run to the arms of Jesus and know that he knows? And that he hates the pain and the sickness and the sorrow and the depression and the anxiety so much that he died and rose again so that someday all the pain, all the sorrow, all the sickness will be brought to an end. At the end of the book of Revelation, Jesus gives us this promise. He says, behold, I'm making all things new. This isn't the end of your story. This isn't what defines you because Jesus has the authority to make all things new. It might not be today. It might not be a year or five years from now. I can't even begin to tell you when your circumstances might change. But because Jesus has the authority to make all things new on this earth and in your life, and because he promises that someday he will do it, you have an incredibly bright future. That's our second group of people to address this morning. Our third and final group of people that I want to address today are the people in the room who have given their lives to Jesus and have said, yes, Jesus, I want to live under your authority for my life. I want you to look at the last verse of our passage today. Go ahead, take a look with me. I want you to underline or circle or underscore this verse, verse 37. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The way that we need to respond this morning to the authority of Jesus is to get word about him and his authority out to the entire planet. In Matthew 28, after Jesus has risen from the grave and right before he ascends to heaven, he speaks about his authority again. This is what he says. He says, all authority, same word used in Luke 4, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he tells us what we're supposed to do as a result of his authority. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. The reality is that there are people in our families, in our workplaces, in our cities, and to the ends of the earth who have never heard, never had a chance to respond to the good news and the authority of Jesus. 
We've been given the privilege and the responsibility to share the good news of Jesus with everyone in our spheres of influence, in our workplaces, in our city, in our neighborhood, in our school, in our families. We've been given the privilege and the responsibility to get the good news of the gospel out to every people group on the planet, especially to the two plus billion, that's billion with a B, billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus, let alone been given an opportunity to respond to his authority and the good news of the gospel. Two billion people who don't know somebody, who knows somebody, who knows somebody that could tell them about Jesus. The truth is, friends, that's a, that's a big thing to accomplish. And we can't do it alone. And that's why at our church, we don't just gather on Sunday morning. We scatter throughout the week in city groups. It's a place where we can sharpen and support each other as we try to live under the authority of Jesus in our lives. As we try to bring the good news to all the people in our spheres of influence, our workplaces, our dorms, our neighborhood, our families, and that's why we have a missions pipeline here at our church. It's a place where you can learn and grow and develop in your knowledge and your ability to take the good news, to get the good news of the gospel out to the ends of the earth, to those two plus billion people who've never heard the good news of Jesus. We have a missions pipeline to show you how you, right where you're at, can get involved to learn, to grow, and to be a part of Jesus' mission to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation with the good news if you'd like to learn more this morning about city groups, you'd like to learn more about our missions pipeline, I'd encourage you, would you talk to a staff person after the gathering? Would you send us an email? Would you get a hold of us? We'd love to help you get plugged into either one of those things, city group or our missions pipeline. With that, friends, this is the last sentence I'm going to say today. Friends, as we go from this place today, would we be astonished at the authority of Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful. We're grateful that, um, that you sent your son, that Jesus chose to use his authority not to build up his own, his own power, his own prestige, his own wealth, but rather to lay his wealth down, to go from heaven to earth, to use his authority to lay his life down, that we would be brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now, Lord, we, we rejoice that we get to be citizens of your kingdom, that we are under your authority. We're under your rule, your good rule, the type of rule that lays your life down for those who are under your authority. Jesus, we praise you for that. We ask for those people in the room, maybe this morning, who've never responded to your authority. Jesus, in this moment, would you give them strength in the best way they know how, to remove the roadblocks, to remove whatever's, whatever's in their path to you, Jesus. And would they run to your arms and accept your sacrifice for them, Lord. For those who are hurting this morning in pain, we ask that you'd be their comforter. Lord, we don't know what the circumstances are, but Jesus, would you remind their hearts in a fresh new way that you're present, that you're near and that their story isn't over, that there's hope because of your authority. 
And finally, for those of us who have bowed our knee and given our lives and surrendered to your authority, I pray that you would use us, Lord, to reach our spheres of influence, our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods with the good news, and that you would also use us to reach the nations, the end of the world, with the good news of your authority, of your rule and your reign. So Jesus, we love you, we lift this up to you, and we respond in song, lifting our voices. Amen.